everyone, and welcome to the Innovation Scholar Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Hughes, live from the University of Charleston in West Virginia. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Now with me today, I have for our part two of this uh, two-part series, Dr. Travis Kale and Terry Cyphers. Fellas, thank you for coming back for round two. Thanks for having us. It's been been great. Yeah, great to be back. I love yes. to be back on campus. It's beautiful. Oh, it is. We, For those of you who don't know, our campus is uh, stationed right across from our state capitol in Charleston, West Virginia, in the beautiful gold dome. It's, uh, it, nice. it is the the best piece of real estate in West Virginia, and that's, a, that's not hyperbole. It is a, it's a great place, isn't it? Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Sure is. So on the uh, first episode, we, were, we spoke about uh, innovation being a buzzword or not, and so we're going to try to... Uh, continue that conversation here and that thought. So the first question I have is that there was an article posted on, on Wired.com, and it was titled, Innovation, Most Important and Overused Word in America. So h- how do you think, for both of you guys, how do you think that we can stress the importance of innovation without sounding redundant? I think it goes back to the conversation that we had in the first episode the idea of that scholar practitioner and you know UC is an incredible model for that as as we mentioned before uh, Dr. Kale is, is putting together an innovation minor but I think that's the scholar piece now that there's the practitioner piece and UC does something as I understand it that really nobody else does they actually shut down the whole campus for a day and they have this incredible thing they call I3, and, and I know Travis runs that, and he would be much more equipped to, to speak about that than me. Yeah, I I think I think you said that very well, uh, Terry, about um, it's one thing to be a scholar, but can you put it into practice? That's what we do with I3. So I3 is an innovation competition campus-wide um, where we invite people to students and staff by the way we don't we don't exclude staff and faculty because we we truly believe innovation is something that adds value for everybody in our community so uh, if they have an idea uh, and there's different categories right so if you have a product idea great you know we can do a pre- you can do a presentation on that but maybe it's an idea about just a, an, an improvement in something in your daily life or an improvement in uh, just s- some service that you're doing. Or maybe you have a research idea. Research is innovation. Um, we, we think of research projects sometimes as just boring, uh, long papers that you have to write. But, but truly, if you get to the heart of it, research is innovation because we're trying to uncover new knowledge that we didn't know about before. And so you can do that for I3. Um, you can even do a case study where you analyze uh, a situation that's occurred. So a case study is a valuable form of research because uh, we can look and see what people did well, what they didn't do well. And then we can analyze that systematically, and, and we can come up with innovative ideas that way. So we, we do that uh, here at, on campus. And it is still today the largest innovation. Uh, it has been for a long time, and in covid course you know participation dipped a little bit but it's but it's on it's on the rebound and it's still today the largest innovation uh, competition collegiate innovation competition in the state Um, now there's other business plan competitions and things like that but for an innovation dedicated competition it's the largest one Uh, 
And one more really quick thing I'll mention is we do another thing called UCIC. And UCIC is um, it's, it's our internal way to get new ideas from employees and faculty members and to, um, you know, things that, hey, we got some good administration members here, but uh, they don't know everything. So they actually go to the staff and faculty and solicit ideas from them. And so that UCIC is our internal innovation process that we actually use to uh, find out new programs, new things that we can add for this campus. I think what's interesting about what Travis has mentioned, there was a book written, I think it was early 90s, don't hold me to that, by Mark Casson called Entrepreneurship Theory. And Casson said something just absolutely fascinating. He said, really, when you think about competitive advantage, competitive advantage comes from information. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And if you think about that, that's really kind of where innovation comes from, is from information as well. Then Casson really poses this question that really every organization should start to think about. And the question is, what structures organizational structures do you have in place to uncover new information, right? And you start thinking about that. That's profound. And what I love about UC is they're actually doing that through UCIC and through I3. So they're setting those structures to uncover that new information to create new value. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have zero experience with UCIC since I am a student here at the University of Austin. But for I3, I can say... When you win, that check is really comes in handy. That's, <laughs> I can assure you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh, innova- innovation's great, but uh, money's better. I agree. We, we, yes. we <laughs> it's, it's better when it's coupled together, right? That's so, exactly right. Uh, so we do try to reward people uh, in both. Actually, uh, you see, I see. Also, there's a cash award, um, but that's okay. You know why? Because we're given a little bit of money back for ideas that can improve our organization, our school, by multiple times that, right? So um, that's a good investment for our part. Yes. Well, very well, very well. So I believe one of the biggest fields where we see the term innovation coined or utilized is in, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say fields. One of the biggest words that's often with innovation is process. Mm-hmm. And I know... I. Uh, I'm personally a lean Six Sigma black belt, and I know Terry uh, has is a black belt. And are you a green belt? Travis? I'm a green belt. Yes, yeah. you're, you're so yeah, you're a green belt. So we all have kind of a process-minded panel here this today with us. So, uh, what are your guys' thoughts um, on you know innovation and with process as well? And may I add before we get to that, in the Global Innovation Science Handbook, known as the GISH or the Innovation Bible, as we call it around <laughs> the University of Charleston. It, it kind of distinguishes the difference um, between the, the two. It says that processes intend to give us lean results in organizations, whereas practices are intended to give us innovation. And so I kind of thought that was kind of a nice little sentence there. So what, what, what do you guys think about that? Well, um, I think going back to the first episode, Terry said uh, definitions matter, and they do. Now, with that said, they're really splitting hairs here <laughs> with this process versus practice uh, the, uh, 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 distinction. Um, 
yeah, innovation. I, I mean, they're 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 drawing a distinction between an actual uh, process, like a way of of doing something within the organization, where, where practice is is more of like a skill type of thing, an ability. Um, so, like I say, it's sort of splitting splitting hairs here. But but however you look at innovation, um, uh, another thing that that uh, Terry mentioned was an innovation portfolio. And when you have an innovation portfolio, good organizations have something called an innovation blueprint. And an innovation blueprint is your organization's way, uh, that, that's, that's your guide to internal innovation. If you don't have a blueprint, an innovation blueprint, or a plan, whatever you call it, an innovation plan, innovation blueprint, whatever terminology, if you don't have a plan for it, uh, and you just expect ideas to fall out of the sky, they're not going to. Uh, and, and because, let's think about it. Um, let's say a, I, I don't know, a cashier, let's say, who's working for a restaurant. Um, they might have a great idea because they're, they're, on the cash, they're on the cash register every day. They know how they could do something a lot quicker. And we all know in fast food that, that speed is you know, everything, right? The quicker you can get that food out, the, the more money you can make. Well, that cashier is on the cash register. They might have some great ideas about how to improve the process. But if you don't have a plan, like if they don't have an outlet to submit those ideas to their manager and the manager can't relay those to, to people higher up than, than him, um, that idea is never going to go anywhere. Uh, and so you have to have... Uh, a practice, a plan, a blueprint, whatever you want to call it, uh, in order to uh, make sure that innovation actually uh, happens. So. Yeah, very well. I think I think oftentimes you do find innovation with process. I think you oftentimes find it with invention as well or product development. And I think what what you really have to be careful about when it comes to innovation is looking at innovation sort of from a siloed approach. And I think oftentimes that's what happens. I think stepping back and thinking through, well, where does innovation really happen? As I mentioned, Keeley, uh, 10 types of innovation or the definition from U.S. Commerce Advisory Panel. That broader perspective of innovation, I think, makes for a more robust conversation for the organization and I think what you have to really be careful with, and I think organizations are notorious for it. Uh, matter of fact, I know they are. It's, it's siloing. Everybody's trying to fight that, right? So it takes the leadership to ask those questions. You know, how do how do we look at innovation holistically, and how do we move innovation forward holistically? And I think that's why those innovation portfolios become so important. Yeah. Right. It's very, it's very, it's very well said. Well said. So, your guys, you both, as you discussed in the first episode, you're kind of in different um, careers right now, in different uh, types of careers. Terry's more on the uh, financial planning side, and you're obviously working with in higher ed at this, this point. Where do you guys see the, the most innovation or misuse of innovation within your respective industries? Hmm. I think. I think I would move that maybe even more general. And the reason I say that is because I think there's a universal offense 
(laughs) (laughs) around innovation. I think it's organizationally sexy to say we're innovative. But the real question is, at its heart, innovation has to create value. So once you're sort of past the slideshow and after you're past the 10th meeting on (laughs) what you're going to do, you really have to start looking at the bottom line. Did you make a difference? Was there new value created? Ultimately, I think that's the criteria for innovation. And I think oftentimes people think innovation is this easy thing. And maybe not so much. Right? I would I would venture to say there's a lot more failures than successes, and that's okay. But as a species, we've been innovating since day one. And I think we'll continue to do that in various capacities. And what always amazes me is is the types of innovation that are starting to come, everything from very simple to more complex. And as as both of you gentlemen know, the artificial intelligence is real. Mm-hmm. That's going to displace a lot of folks. And so you have to sort of be forward thinking around that, especially I would I would say as a student, I've got a few more years of life than you do, Eli. <laughs> and so I'm closer to the end of, of my working career than the beginning. But I would start to really start to think about those things. and It's almost like starting to play um, chess instead of checkers, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I love everything Terry said. I'm going to go a little bit different direction, though, because uh, I can't say what he said any better. <laughs> so um, when you're looking at the field of education, so you, you think about a college. What are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to educate students uh, so that they can go out and, and make a good living. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. You get a very, very small percentage of, of, of students who might come in just for the self-actualization of getting a degree. You know, they, they, they just they want a degree or it's always been a goal of theirs, so they come and get it. But 99% of people who are coming to college are coming so they'll get a career that makes more money. Okay? Well, what... What we try to do then on the on the college side is we try to get degree programs that are going to attract people and that match the available jobs that are out there. But your question, your initial question was, what what's the um, uh, how's innovation misused? Well, what happens sometimes, a lot of times, uh, in institutions of higher ed. Now, I mean, I'm talking from the community colleges, the trade schools, all the way through, you know, doctoral granting institutions, is a lot of times as they try to look at what's going on in the economy to see what the popular jobs are going to be, what's the hot jobs going to be. Okay, well, we've, we know that computer programmers are going to, you know, the job outlook looks great for the next 10 years. So we need to go back and build a program that's, that's going to match that. Okay, it's a noble idea. Problem is, is in higher ed, is it takes a long time to get a program off the ground. Could easily take take two years start to finish, um, sometimes longer. Um, so, where innovation is, I wouldn't say maybe misused isn't the word, but where it's not not leveraged in the right way in in higher ed, is that we're always behind the eight ball. I mean, by the time we get a a, a program in computer programming. 
Well, now there's another hot new job that's going to come out. So I think what we need to do in higher ed is do a little bit better job of forecasting the future. Not, you know, what's the old Wayne Gretzky uh, quote? He, he skates to where the puck's going to be, not to where it's at. That's what we got to do in higher ed. Yeah, that's, uh, I found the common theme of looking to the future yeah. with both your answers, which I think is pretty interesting since two different careers and two different, you know, industries, but yet it's that forward mindset. You know, there's that buzzword again, mindset, uh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> you know, that really pr- propels us to innovate, Yeah, I guess you could say. So that's great. Well, I will, our time has almost uh, come to an end for this two-part series. And I appreciate you guys for being on here once again. Uh, so I have one one last question for you. So are you ready? It's a doozy. Oh. Yeah. Are you ready? Where do you see innovation taking taking us within the next decade? The twenty the twenty twenties. Where do you see it going? Terry, I know you mentioned AI a little bit. I'm I'm not sure if you think that's it or what. I think. I think innovation is going to be an extension of human creativity to some, to a large degree. So when I think about people and their thinking, I think innovation is going to bring things that we never thought possible to life. It it wouldn't surprise me, and I hope that day comes where we figure out how we live to 150, maybe 200, or the day that we decide that Nobody on the earth has to go hungry anymore. Mm-hmm. I think innovation is within that power to do that or that people have a place to sleep. I think, I think there's a great social need for innovation. And I, I don't care what anybody's politics are, but I would just hope that those who are our leaders, who, who I pray for every day, use innovation for the good of the whole, and that innovation is just not used solely for profitability. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change my answer a little bit based on what Terry said, because I think it was so good. You're, there was a time when the United States innovated better than anybody. I mean, we were the, uh, you know, you go back to the uh, automobile industry, the early automobile industry, and you see how we got way ahead of everybody else. You look at uh, technology, um, uh, computer technology, and, uh, you know, we're, we were way ahead of everybody else in the, in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, you, you look at, I mean, just, you know, we were the first people to put a man on the moon. And, and I mean, just on and on and on. There was a time when uh, America innovated better than everybody else because there was just an environment that was ripe for innovation. Now, there, now, the rest of the world has caught up. And that's not a bad thing. Everybody thinks of it as, as a bad thing. We're losing our lead, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Now, I would... I would argue we need to be better at innovating in America. I think we've maybe got a little bit lazy. But um, but the, the rest of the world's catching up. Now, the, the kinds of problems we face in this century are a lot different than the problems we faced in the last century of the 1800s. Um, we have interconnected 
problems as a, as a human species, right? Um, like, like Terry said, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if there were people in the world who didn't go hungry? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were people in the world who didn't, um, who had a place to lay their head every night? You know, not not homeless. Those are are what we call in the leadership world wicked problems because they're extremely difficult to solve. But we've solved them in the past. Um, there are diseases that um, used to plague the world that are almost eradicated now, or, or some are eradicated um, uh, because of the way that different societies, different countries work together alongside of businesses, public-private partnerships, governments work together, um, philanthropists work together. Um, and the way that you solve wicked problems is through innovation. So where I see innovation going is uh, that through um, very deliberately, uh, again, like we've been saying the whole time, innovation doesn't just happen, so it's very deliberately. Um, but, but we work with people around the world to solve more and more of these wicked problems that, that face us. And uh, I think that innovation is going to... Um, you know, say, I was going to say I think innovation is going to save the human race. I don't think that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to say, but uh, but I think innovation is going to make life a lot better as we move forward. And, and without it, we're just going to get, be stuck. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you guys. That was a great episode. That was great thoughts. And uh, again, I appreciate you you both coming on. And, and I guess Terry, this is now your third episode. Third. So you're the, in the span of a you know a few episodes, you've came the most. Uh, and Travis, you're in second place now. Is your second episode? Well, let me let me say so. one more thing for Terry. Back when we had um, back at my first stint at UC, when we had the UConnect Career Development Podcast, Terry was on that one too. So oh. I mean, he is just he's a professional over interviewer. and over yeah. again. Yeah, nice. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you for listening to the Innovation Scholar Podcast. I'm your Eli. I'm your host, Eli Hughes. Signing off. Thank you.